0: 1820s thereabouts in Scotland, there was an acknowledgement from the church, the Church in Scotland, that it needed to really begin some overseas missionary work. And about the 1820s, you know, there was an acknowledgement that what the church needed to do in Scotland was to take the good news of the gospel. And actually take it to some other countries to go out into the world. So what they did, what the church did, was approach a man by the name of Alexander Duff. And they asked him whether he would be willing to to undertake this task, to to stop what he was doing and to to jump on a a ship and and go out with the gospel. Now, um, this guy was really sort of initially pretty reluctant about this. He was a young bloke, young guy. I think at that time as well, he had a pretty young family. And he really doubted whether he had the necessary gifts and qualifications to to, to go out and to tell people about the gospel. But, thought about it for a while. And after a wee bit of gentle persuasion, and uh, after becoming convinced that the Holy Spirit was indeed calling this man overseas, he does it. He agrees, packs up all the stuff, gets on the ship, and he goes. And so begins one, honestly, one of the most fruitful periods and episodes uh, of foreign mission work that the Scottish church has ever seen, had ever seen, and even has seen to this day. Now, despite Alexander Duff's genuine importance to church history, what we're going to think about And what we've got in front of us here in Scripture, it takes Alexander Duff, blows it out of the water. Okay, because what we're thinking about today is not Alexander Duff, but we are thinking about the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. That's what we're getting to today as we're we're going through the book of Acts. Think about what you've got in front of you. You have got the first time ever that the New Testament church has planned a trip with the intention of getting the message of salvation out into the Gentile world. So you begin to see, what you're looking at today, these verses, is big. I mean, this is a, this is a marker. This is a significant moment in, in, the, in the life of the New Testament church. So, with that said, let's get into it. Um, if you would have your Bibles open at the verses we read in Acts chapter 13. And let's think about a first heading here. This is our first heading. We must worship while we wait. We must worship while we wait. What does that mean? Well, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember that we looked at the church in Antioch. Do you remember the church in Antioch? I think we said sort of five things about it. They all began with C. And I probably won't be able to remember them all. But, you know, stuff like they were caring for the poor, and they were clutching a vision, and they were centered in Jesus Christ. That was the church in Antioch. Remember that? Well, it's back in Antioch. That's what we've got to be focusing on again here. Because at the beginning of this chapter, we see something of the church in Antioch's ethnically diverse Leadership. Don't we? Do you, do you see the guys that are spoken of at the beginning here? We've got Lucius, and we've got Simeon. We've got guys from all over the shop, all over the place, and they're involved in the leadership, they're involved in the teaching, they're involved in the prophecy church, right? Now, what I want to ask you to do is try and imagine what that was like. Try and imagine what it was like to be in the church leadership, part of the leadership in Antioch at that point. Imagine how exciting it would have been. Like, think about Antioch they've just seen that the gospel isn't just for Jews they've seen that the gospel is a worldwide thing and they've seen lots and lots of people be Christians and you can sort of hear see them scratching their heads a wee bit thinking wow look at this the gospel's for the whole world and here we are a group of sort of ethnically diverse people with connections all over the world they're scratching their heads thinking what do we do? do you see it? you are thinking, Lord, what do we do next? We're seeing how you're working here, but surely we've got to... Where do we go? What do we do? Do you see it? It is a church at this point that's waiting for God. It's a church that is looking to God for guidance. As we think about that situation, there are a couple of things that we need to think about. First one, first thing to think about here is that guidance comes... And it comes from God. Now let me ask you this. When you're reading Act 13 and I'm reading it to you there, how do you think it all goes down? Like, how do you think they make the decision about where they should go with the gospel, this sort of leadership in Annual? Do you think it's a Kirk session meeting? You know, the sort of, the, the guys in Antioch are together in a room in church somewhere and they're thinking, well, what are we going to do? And they're sort of looking around. There's a lot of blank faces and he's like, Bernabeus sticks his hand up. He's like, uh, let's go to, uh, I don't know, Cyprus. Let's go there. It's nice at this time of year. And, uh, Paul, you come with me. Do you think it's like that? Do you? Well, have a look. It's not like that. Look at verse two. You know, this, this journey, everything about this journey was instigated by whom? The Holy Spirit. Do you see that the Holy Spirit spoke? I presume, could be wrong, but I presume spoke through the prophets that were just been mentioned here. The Holy Spirit spoke, spoke very clearly to these people, and he tells them exactly what they should be doing, and he and he says exactly who it is should be going on this journey. Now I wonder do you see the lesson for us as a conction? Do you see a lesson there for all churches? Do you see gospel expansion work? Stuff like church planting and evangelism. See any sort of missionary evangelistic strategy? It cannot be. Now hear this. It cannot be and it must not be something that is just off the cuff. Missionary strategy isn't something that can be sort of ill-conceived, ill-thought-out, cannot be something that is in any way haphazard. It always has to be something that has its origin in God's guidance. Do you see that? So we're seeing here, it is God that guides these things. It's God that must lead us in these things. So they get guidance from God, and that is important. But there's something else here and I firmly, genuinely believe that this next thing is very, very important to our Christian lives now let me put it like this, please many people in our congregation just now are at a point where they are waiting for God you see what I mean? There's lots and lots of people in this congregation. I don't know whether it is something to do with the, the location or the fact that we're in a city or the age of many in the congregation. I don't know what it is. But there are a lot of people in this congregation at this point are seeking God's will. And there's a lot of people who are just like, think about the church here, just like the church, they are looking to God for guidance. Now, what do we normally do as Christians to try and discern God's will? It's not a trick question. What do we normally do? How do we normally go about it? We pray. Don't we? And uh, that's right. And uh, Don't worry, I'm not saying anything heretical here. We pray. We must pray. That's what we need. We want to know God's will. You pray, you pray more. But do you see the danger with that? If that is all that we do when we are seeking God's will. What happens is that our relationship with God, it descends into something that is just purely mechanical. It descends into something that is absolutely soulless. If, if it's all we do, then we end up treating God like one of these, you know, magic eight balls. Horrible things, you know. But that's how we treat God sometimes. That we just go to Him when we've got a problem. We just go to Him when we're needing His guidance. Now, here's the thing. Do you see that what you have got in front of you in Acts chapter 13 changes all of that. What got in front of you this morning should change the way that you seek God's guidance forevermore. Because think about the church here in Antioch. What What's going on? They're looking to God's will. They're looking. They're desperate. They've got the gospel. They want to know, what do you want from us, God? Where do you want us to go? And what were they doing when the guidance came? Because they weren't just praying. What were they doing when the guidance came? Do you see it? Verse 2. Look at the start of verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. While they were worshipping the Lord, the guidance came. Now let me tell you that that word there that's used is very, very unusual. It is only ever used of Zechariah's zechariahs time of service in the temple so do you see what's being said here the church here is looking for guidance and they're not just praying about this it's not just prayer an occasional time of prayer they're looking for guidance and they are serious about this and so it comes when their whole life is about jesus it comes when everything that they are is about serve Christ. They are serving Him. They are praising Him. They are worshiping him with everything that they are. Do you see what that means for us? Are you looking for God's will in your life just now? Then you need to focus much, much more on Jesus Christ and much, much less on a problem that is needing solved. Do you see it? We should be living for Christ in everything that we are and not just carrying on as we normally do and chucking in a nice and a wee extra prayer time here or there. Do you see it? As we seek, we worship Christ in everything. This is big, isn't it? This should change how we seek God's will. The church here they wanted to know and they got clear guidance as they worshipped and as they served the living God. We must worship while we wait. Secondly we see here that we must repent when we are warned. We must repent when we are warned. Okay, um, now in some ways, it's a pity that Andrew and Maria are not here uh, with us this morning. That They're not in in church. With them having a house in Cyprus, it'd probably be quite nice to pick their brains, wouldn't it? Uh, Because Paul and Barnabas are commissioned by the Holy Spirit, and they're commissioned by the church. Do you see where they end up? The, The focus of the passage of Scripture moves on. And it moves on to that island, and it moves to Cyprus. Now, the author of this book here, uh, Luke, he doesn't want, he doesn't, he's not exhaustive, he doesn't tell us everything that happens to, to Paul and Barnabas when they're on Cyprus. Instead, what he wants is for you and myself today to focus on one episode with this guy, Bar Jesus. Or Elimus. Now we had Blastus last week, and now we've got Bar Jesus this week. So we're really getting to the name. So who's this guy? You know who is Bar Jesus or Elimus? Well, I I don't know if you noticed in it that he was pretty wicked sort of a bloke. I mean, he, you know, let's think black magic. You know, a practitioner of the dark arts, if you like. And that's one thing. But this guy was also incredibly influential. Because we're told that... Here's this guy, Bar-Jesus, our Elimus. Now, he was an attendant of the Roman proconsul. You think, oh, so what? It's just a throwaway comment. But you've got to think that this guy, this practitioner of the dark arts, he was an attendant of the guy who was in charge of the whole of this island, the Cyprus. So he's incredibly influential. And see what he does, you know, he, this guy, Sergius Paulus, the, the proconsul, he's interested in Christ. He wants to learn more about Jesus Christ, and he wants an audience with Paul and Barnabas. But Elemus, bar Jesus, hates this idea, just, just despises it. So he comes in and he tries to, to ensure that there is distance between Sergius Paulus and, and, and Christ, something that is going to, did you notice? Something that leads to the most severe sort of rebuke that you're ever likely to read from Paul. What a rebuke! But it is also something that leads to punishment from God. And it might have you going for this time in the morning, but it's that. It's the punishment from God on bar Jesus that I want us to think about just for a second. Now, first of all here, do you see how how amazingly appropriate the punishment is upon this guy? Right, have a look with me at verse 11. Do you see what the punishment is in verse 11? What happens to, to Eli, Mr. Bar Jesus? Do you see it? And the guy's blinded by God. He's blind. He's made blind. Now, Do you see? What did I say? I said it was appropriate. Do you see how appropriate it is? Do you? He's blinded. It's as if God is sort of saying to him, just as you have tried to keep Sergius Paulus in the dark, so I am going to act to keep you in the dark. It's as if he's sort of saying to this guy, Elymas, just as you've tried to lead this man into spiritual blindness, so I am going to engulf you. In physical blindness. Do you see how appropriate it is? Do you see how appropriate it is just in the fact that it is Paul that's the vehicle of this punishment, a man who is himself being blinded by God. Do you see it? It's just such a fitting punishment. And there's something else. Please think about the fact that it is also a merciful punishment. Um. Over the last couple of weeks, I have uh, spoken uh, quite a bit about my hairdresser uh, in the the church, either from the pulpit, but more often through the back of the prayer meetings. I might feel really self-conscious now that I've said that. (laughs) Uh, But the reason that I've spoken about my hairdresser uh, is because I had an opportunity to speak to her about Jesus. And... It was, in some ways, you know, really quite a positive conversation with her about Christ and the gospel. But she had genuine reservations. And her main reservation is the, that familiar reservation that we hear an awful lot, you know, about suffering. She sort of says, I can see that a wee bit. But hang on, I can't get my head around the fact that that God would allow any sort of affliction to happen to anyone that God would allow suffering. That's her problem. You've heard that before, haven't you? Surely you have. We see in this guy, Elymas. I think we see one reason that God might do that. I think there's a reason here that God might allow suffering or might allow affliction. Now, now, now what do I mean by that? Well, think again about how he's punished. What did we say? How is he punished? He's blinded. So you might say to me, well, Andy, how can you possibly say that that is a merciful punishment? It's a guy who is made blind. He's blind. He can't see. How is that merciful? I'd say, look again at what we're actually told. We're told that he was made blind for a time. This is temporary. Do you see, this is merciful. This isn't the same sort of punishment. Remember Herod Last week Herod drops down immediately today. It's this is this is something. Now do you see why it's like that? Do you see why this man is blinded? Do you see why he's blinded temporarily? God is warning this man. God is providing Bar Jesus with a warning. And you might say, Yeah, well I mean he's been punished because he's opposing the gospel. And he is, and that's right. But this blindness upon this man, it is to give him an opportunity to repent. An opportunity to turn from his wickedness. This is an opportunity, this blindness, this affliction, an opportunity for him to come to Christ. So I want to say this to you. I want to say it to you, if if you're someone who, for who knows why, but you're someone in this church this morning who is not a Christian. You know, maybe, the, I don't know, you've had an upbringing in the church, but you've never come to Christ. Maybe it is. You've got no idea why you're sitting in this church this morning. But you just know you are. And you know you're not a Christian. I want to ask you this. Is what happened to bar Jesus happening to you in your life just now? Are there real afflictions in your life just now? You know, are there just immensely tough and difficult situations that you are going through in your life just now? Here's what I'm going to ask you Will you stop today and will you look at those things in a spiritual light? Will you consider this morning that those things may well be shots across your bow? That's what those things may well be. Those afflictions, those troubles, they May, may well be merciful warnings from God to encourage you just to stop and think about what is important. Merciful warnings to encourage you to repent and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the brutal truth is we've got no idea what happened to Elimus. Like, we, this guy barred Jesus We've got no idea what happened. Did he pay heed to this warning, to this blindness? Did he come to Jesus? We don't know. We're not told. Let there not be that sort of uncertainty with your future and your spiritual destination. You pay heed and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So we must worship while we wait. We must repent when we're warned. The last thing, the third thing here is that we must trust in the words. We must trust in the word. Okay, here's a question for you. If you were asked, what do you really think of London City Presbyterian Church? If it was an anonymous questionnaire. What do you really think about let's say the future ministry of London City Presbyterian Church? You're asked to give an honest opinion. What would you say? Do you think okay if any church is going to have an impact on a city like London in the 21st century that is not going to be a church quite as old school and quite as sort of traditional as ourselves? Do you think that, honestly? Do you think, oh no, if anyone's going to have a sort of impact on on the people out in London, you know, the people that live in, you know, there's going to be a much more sort of culturally relevant and cooler church you think that? Do you think "Oh, if anyone's going to have an impact, there's going to be a much, maybe one of the livelier churches. It's going to be, it's going to be one of the churches that's much more contemporary. It's going to be one of the churches that focuses always on the the, the, the the supernatural, spiritual gifts." Do you think that? Do you? Honestly. Well, I think we learned something here of great importance from this proconsul. And the way that this man, Sergius Paulus, is saved. Because look, on first on first, look, it looks like he's kind of saved at one of these kind of Benny Hinn type sort of uh, super charismatic Pentecostal meetings. Doesn't he? Look at it. He sees uh, uh, Elimus blinded. He sees this sort of supernatural working of God. And it's like, hallelujah, sort of, Sergius Paulus is saved. That's what it looks like, you know. But it 's not because the proconsul is not saved by the sign now don 't get me wrong he 's amazed by what God does here. You know it would be pretty difficult not to be amazed god 's hand blights a man immediately it 's going to take you see that sort of stuff and it 's going to take your breath away isn 't it? It is, but he is not saved by the sign, and I'm just going to ask you. To do something. I just want to ask you to listen as I read you. Just listen to this. I'll read you the last couple of words. That's all. Listen to this. It says here Sergius Paulus believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And you say, no, and you read that wrong, man. That's not what it says. He, was amazed, he, was, he believed for, he was amazed at the sign, the fact that this guy was blind, surely that. No, that's not what it says. It says he believed for, he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And let me tell you that that is the same story you're going to hear all the way through the New Testament. That's the same story you're going to hear in the Gospels. That's the same story you're going to hear in Acts whenever there is a miraculous sign. These signs, by themselves, they save no one. Do you see? These signs are, guess what? They're signs. They point people to Jesus. They point people to the Word of God. And let me tell you, that is God's chosen method. That's His method in Scripture. That's His method today. He saves people by His Word, by us witnessing, by us preaching through the Holy Spirit. That is how God brings people into new life in Jesus Christ. So again, I ask you the same question. When you consider that, how do you feel about the future ministry of London City Presbyterian Church? Because we're not cool. <laughs> well, we want to be cool, but we're not cool. And okay, we're maybe not quite as culturally relevant, perhaps, as we should be. But in some ways, don't know if it matters. Because God is sovereign. Do you see that? And if we stick to the Bible, if we stick to the Word of God, then, hallelujah, he will save. And I wonder, you see why Sergius Paulus was amazed at the teaching of the Lord, do you? I mean, the miracle's awesome. Like the punishment to see that this man blinded would take your breath away. But it's nothing, is it? Compared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, think about it, that the Son of God would come and would die for sinners like us. No sign compares with that, does it? That that Messiah that's promised all the way through Scripture, this promised Messiah, that he would come And then what would he do? He would take wrath upon himself that should be directed at you because of your wickedness and your sin. Come on! No sign. Nothing. No wonder compares with that. That Jesus Christ, in his grace, in his goodness, would look at you and see your spiritual blindness and he would shed his light into that, and he would save you, then you're just not telling me that any sign at all is going to compare with that, with the majesty and the beauty of that. say to you this morning, as a congregation, we should be encouraged, because we're few, there's no many of us, there isn't, and we're old-fashioned, I'm sure, and we're weak, but it just, it doesn't matter. We stick to God's words, And he can use us, even us in here. And he can, and I believe he will use us for his majestic and for his eternal glory. Let's pray.